uh, thanks for listening. Joining me today is Representative Eric Mortensen. Mort, thanks for uh, making it. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> it's fun. We'll solve all the world's problems in the next uh, 45 minutes to Absolutely. An hour, People better tune in. They better tune in. <laughs> so I appreciate uh, you taking the time to be on. I know you're busy. It's a little bit better now that you've gotten past the primaries. Yep. Um, but, you know, before you get totally into politics, maybe back up a little bit of how you how you came to be Representative Eric Mortensen. What got you involved? Sure. Yeah, um, background. Well, I had my own company um, for about five years. And uh, one day I received a letter. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. I got a letter from the Department of Revenue, one of my favorite Those places to get Those are the best letters. Mail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it said, you've been selected for a sales tax audit. And I remember it specifically said they would contact me within the next two weeks, which I thought, perfect, because I've got a billion things to do. Yes. I don't need to hunt down the Department of Revenue. And um, they called me probably three weeks later. I thought I like flew under the radar. But they called me, and they chastised me, and they said, we sent you a letter, and you never called us. And I said, you're damn right I never called you guys. Why would I call you people? Um, and they said, well, they, we scheduled a chance for them to come in. And they took, I mean, I printed reams of paperwork, invoices, uh, receipts, and I wanted her gone as soon as possible. Just yeah, get out of my right. office. And uh, five months went by. Once again, I thought, I think they forgot about me lost in the bureaucracy, uh, but they sent me back the results of their audit. And I remember the very first page, over the length of this audit, I can't remember what it was, six months, a year, whatever it was, they said, yeah, we've determined that you've never paid a nickel in sales tax, even though I would log into their website, their website the right. 20th of every month, and yep. I would pay those I bastards well. thousands and thousands <laughs> of dollars, and they accused me of never paying them. And their letter said, if you disagree, you have five days Oh. to respond. I'm like, well, you guys get five months to look at all this. I get five days to contest it. And, uh, so, of course, I contested it. And this was one off for like a year and a half. And then eventually I got a call from my banker, and they said, uh, the state just took your money. And I'm like, what? And they said, yeah, it's all locked up. So I called them. I'm like, what are you doing? We're in the middle of going back and forth. And long story short, um, I proved to them I owed them next to nothing. I know I could have gotten every, every single nickel back from mm -hmm. them. But, uh, you know, it kind of came to cost benefit. It was like, right. fine, whatever. You can keep nine grand. They wanted $150,000. That's crazy. So I'm like, fine, keep the nine grand. Give me my, give the rest of my money back. So for like that whole time, I just bootstrapped it. I made my payroll every Friday. Of course, didn't pay myself. So that was mm -hmm. painful. Mm -hmm. And I started looking at the voting records of state legislators because I had been interested in maybe running for office. Uh, so I'm like, well, is anybody actually fighting this bureaucracy and I looked at my state rep's record, and it was horrible, like most of the Republicans in the Capitol. Uh, Bob Lunen was his name at the time. And I said, to hell with it. I'm going to run for office because this guy is a rhino. And mm -hmm. uh, So I challenged him in 2018, although he was an incumbent Republican. The party endorsed me um, on the first ballot, like 70-30. And then, um, um, of course, he didn't like that, so we went to a primary. And beat him by 16 points. Uh, this is 2018. Lost to the Democrat that year in Trump's midterm. And... Uh, then ran again in 2020, and, and now here I am. And won. Well, I think what most people, you know, don't realize before we move off Mindor, the IRS, is that, that, you know, for many people, that's their interface with the government, particularly if you're a business owner. Yep. And putting 87,000 
more agents <laughs> and Doubling the IRS, the size, yeah. not dedicated to actually getting your uh, questions answered quicker, right? Because that's a huge problem with the IRS. Now. Yeah. They've had to keep rolling over all these things where they're like, yeah, we haven't had a chance to file it, look at it, fix anything. My parents did tax and accounting for their whole career, so they just banged heads with the IRS. Yeah. Never lost, always won, but they had clients that were you know, able to pay for someone to fight back. Yep. The people who get the most railroaded by the government are going to be the people who are like, I don't, like you said, the risk benefit. Like you yep. didn't owe them any money, yep. but you look at it and you're like, I could do this, I could bang it out, but it's going to be brutal for me. And if you're, you know, a small business owner, most small business owners, very modest, like you said, pay yourself last, make payroll, yep. barely making it, holding on. And um, you're just like, it's going to cost me so much money to get a lawyer to take this to tax court. And most of the time you prevail. 90% of the time, if you go to tax court, the taxpayer prevails. Yeah. Because they're wrong. You did the right thing in the beginning yep. and they're just trying to bully you. They're like organized it crime. It truly is. It's like the mob. I mean, it's I like remember the mob. I called them pissed as hell because they said, well, look, give us your payables for this week and release that. We'll release that. I'm like, well, that's very kind of you. But you realize I have payables every week, right? Right. And they did not care after the first week. Uh, so I called this woman. And they said, well, when the auditor manufactured the debt, and I said, let me stop you right there. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. They manufactured this debt. I owe debt. you nothing. Yeah. Yeah, well, wait till, wait till it's all, you know, it's central banking, digital currencies, right? Oh, then you, everything you, you lock be everything better. up, right? That's what they're so <laughs> fearful of actual, like, actual Bitcoin. Was to be like, no, 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 no. You give me a court order, and then, you know, you get the money. But you don't get to just take it out of my account. Yeah, it's insane. A, a, I can't a believe settlement. Yeah. the power that they have. It's so, disgusting. you know, I, I think that, again, it's like one of these nonpartisan issues. That your average person gets abused by the government whenever they interact with them, whether it's uh, trying to pay a parking ticket on fine or you're getting some fine from your city that it doesn't make any sense or to Mindor IRS. And so so you got pissed off with that. You did something constructive with it, not whine about it. You're like, look, there's no one handling this kind of stuff. There's no one trying to shrink government, get it out of the way of my business. I'm going to run for office. You ran mul multiple times, finally got elected in 2020. So what was that like? Well, my theme, <laughs> what I looked at is nobody is treating the government the way government treats the people. Mm. And the government does not treat us kindly, right? They bully right. us around because you look at an attorney at four or 500 bucks an hour, and it's like, well, I, I, I can't afford that. So mm -hmm. they, they take the gamble and, and just give up. So yeah, since getting elected almost two years ago, that's been my mentality is treat the state the way the state treats us, uh, which means I haven't made many friends in the Capitol. Uh, in fact, I was on a, one of my first committee meetings on tax committee we had uh, Commissioner Doty, who I think just resigned, uh, the Department of Revenue Commissioner in Minnesota here. And, um, and I asked him, I said, okay, so let's say you, Commissioner Doty, had to cut 20% of your overhead, which a lot of small businesses across the state had to do during the lockdowns. They had a slash overhead. Yep. Yep. So Commissioner, if you had to cut overhead, say 20%, where would you start? And he said, I don't understand the question. <laughs> said, of course you don't, you're in government. A cut is a reduction in overhead or a reduction in spending. And he said, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not following you here. And um, I said, well, if you were like a business that was shut down by the governor, they had to cut expenses. Right. And so where would you start? And he just wouldn't answer the question. And the funny thing is I had a meeting with him set up uh, for the next day, I think. And as soon as that uh, tax committee meeting was over, you might imagine what happened. He canceled the meeting. He decided, I don't really want to meet with Representative Mortensen. <laughs> so that was a good example of treating them the way that they treat us. Right. So you would think that, uh, I mean, maybe maybe you wouldn't think, but like, you know, 
GOP wants smaller government. They want to fight for the man. They want small business owners, big business, whatever. I mean, that's that's how we're caricatured yeah. by the left. It, you know, as conservatives, it's, oh, we're all there for business. We're all there for shrinking government. So where, where was the Minnesota GOP in, in trying to sh- shrink this? Where was the GOP saying, hey, every every time <laughs> we get a chance, we're going to try to cut government? Where have they ever been on this? And this is really why I continue to run, because I'm not, I don't have political aspirations, right. despite what people might say. Um, but I'm so sick and tired of these Republicans that campaign on that message. Right. Like every single Republican in the state right now mm-hmm. is campaigning on reducing the size and scope of government, but they've never done it. Right. And that is uh, just appalling to me. Um, so that's really why, like I introduced a bill this, uh, well, it was actually last year. Another example of treating them the way they treat us. When they shut down uh, businesses, Rowan Walls did it. Um, you know, people like Lisa Hansen with the Interchange Bistro down on Albert Lee, um, when they were allowed to reopen, which of course you never did because they drove her out of business, mm-hmm. they don't get to retroactively collect revenue. So Republicans in Minnesota are so scared to death of state shutdowns. I mean, they just want to avoid them. Why? Because they think the media and the, and the Democrats are just going to wield it against them as a political weapon. So I drafted a bill that said, well, look, in the event of a state government shutdown, why don't we treat the government the way the government's been treating private enterprise? And let's just say government shuts down taxes cease to be collected. You don't pay an income tax, you don't pay sales tax, you don't pay a liquor tax, a tobacco tax, a gas tax. Mm -hmm. So suddenly everybody's uh, paycheck would go up Mm because they're not paying income tax and the cost of everything would go down. And again, that's what government did to private businesses. Why not say your tax collection uh, ceases to exist during a shutdown? And then I think what happens then is the general public realizes, wait a minute, yeah. the government shutdown isn't so bad. No, it's not like, so bad. Absolutely. When the federal government shuts down, the people are most upset because they just can't use a toilet at the national park. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, we'll just le- leave some chemicals out. We'll clean it. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll keep just using it and we'll kind of make it work. Um, yeah, I think that's what they're most afraid of is pe- life goes on. And you realize those things, birth record, death records, uh, driver's licenses, marriage certificates, they're very few that the government like needs to do. Yeah, I, and there's I, all this other stuff that they're doing. Yeah, I think a good long government shutdown would make people realize, wait a minute, my life continues to go on. This isn't necessarily the end of the world, mm-hmm. and especially if their paychecks go up and their taxes go down. Uh, you know, apolitical people that go to holiday yeah. to get a pack of Marlboros or whatever. Yeah. And well, I don't know, what are they, eight bucks now? Oh, yeah. Something? Well, I mean, yeah, it should cost two fifty. I just yeah, came back exactly. from Tennessee for a trip to Tennessee. I was yes. Like, Tobacco's so cheap down here. Exactly. <laughs> so you go to holiday and you ask for your, you know, your week's pack of Marlboros and the cashier says, you got your $10 bill in your hand. <laughs> and the cashier's like, it's two they They'd be like, whoa, what yeah. happened? It was eight bucks last week. Yeah. And they'd say, well, I don't have to collect any any liquor tax or any uh, tobacco tax. And the regressive tobacco tax. Yeah, and suddenly they would say, well, holy cow, like, I think I'm going to start voting Republican, you know? (laughs) Oh, I think that, um, I mean, so you got in, you saw all these problems. You saw the Minnesota GOP not doing these things that they kind of stood for. And you took a hard line and said, no, I'm going to do what's right. This is kind of like the the famous Ron Paul approach. is like, you know, Ron Paul passed exactly zero bills, but he voted exactly how— he wanted to vote on every single bill. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it so hard to have people involved in politics on either side of the aisle that do that? Even if, even if you philosophically believe something different than me, why is it so hard to vote your conscience all the time? Well, so here's what I've observed. Um, and for the record, I have passed some bills, just so you know, <laughs> regardless of what they said. Ron Paul. <laughs> um, so what I've seen in St. Paul is people get elected, 
and instantly, like this is what happened to me. You get an office and everybody's calling you. You've got mayors, city council members, maybe the governor, especially if they're in your party, are banging on your door and everybody is just glad handing you. So good to have you here. Oh, we're so happy you're here. Even though Republicans spent tens of thousands of dollars against me, even they came up to me on my first day when I thought it's time to throw down. Um, and they're just kissing your butt. Um, lobbyists, I mean, it's just amazing. And you get this, I see them getting this sense of importance and this feeling that they are somehow, um, you know, they've achieved something. And I think it's dangerous. People who haven't really achieved much in their life when mm -hmm. they get in office, um, suddenly they feel like they have achieved something and they don't want to lose that feeling. And they will give up their principles. They'll do whatever, they'll say whatever they have to do just to retain and hold on to that feeling of being important. Um, and so they abandon their principles. And then party leadership, they know this is the reality too, and they use it against them. And they also kiss their butt. And of course, party leadership, they're in it for their own, for their own self-interest, sure. you know, the get in front of the news cameras, do speeches, feel important. And, um, and then what they tell them is, look, if you like this, you want to be here and you want to be effective, you know, just follow our leadership. And then people are, are, they're gone just like that. They cave in on their principles in exchange for this sense of, you know, importance. And I think that is largely what's, what's wrong in the Capitol. I don't frankly care if you're a Republican, Democrat, right? Like, they just they don't want to leave that Capitol building when you're walking around this these marble buildings and it's just you know the opulence of it all um, it, it just it becomes addicting is what mm. I've seen. So, how many people? How many total legislatures are there between the House and the Senate, roughly? Oh, uh, 134, okay. 200, 201. Okay, so of those 201 people, how many people would you put in the bucket of? still principled, want to do the right thing, willing to go against a party when it doesn't make sense, have some set of principles that they're willing to um, well, always stand for? So I, I like to put people, I shouldn't say people, legislators in three buckets. You've got like the bottom of the barrel, sold out. All they care about is their own political ambitions, appeasing leadership, because if you make leadership happy, well, they won't primary you. Mm. They won't kick you off your committee, which... Uh, they won't kick you out of caucus. That's what they did to me. They kicked me out of caucus because I was being too transparent. What does that mean to be kicked out of caucus? So a caucus is like a group of legislators that okay. meet and decide how are we going to act legislatively? How so are we going to vote? GOP caucus. Dem yeah. PFM so in the House, caucus. there's the House Republican caucus. Okay. There's the the Democrat Republic the Democrat caucus, and then there was the new House Republican caucus, okay. which is sort of defunct now, as they've moved on to the Senate or just not seeking re-election. Um, so the New House Republican Caucus kicked me out back in May of 2021 mm -hmm. after repeatedly coming to me and saying, look, you can't go after any Republican other than Kurt Dowd. They said, you can go after Kurt Dowd all you want, because they just hated Kurt Dowd. <laughs> I kept saying, Kurt Dowd's not the problem. It's self-serving politicians that are the problem. If Kurt Dowd was gone today, someone would backfill that. No, no doubt sure, about it. Sure. Um, He's a symptom. He's not the absolutely the problem, yeah. Right? That, that's so someone said, that wields that much power. That's the House Minority or Majority Leader or the Speaker. Yep. Um, it's a tremendous amount of power. Absolutely. So you want to hold that position. Yes. So whatever it's going to take to hold that position. So when I would go, you know, on live on my page or just send an email and say, "Look, Republicans are stabbing you in the back. You know, they blocked a vote on the Never Again bill. Mm -hmm. They blocked a vote, uh, a roll call vote on uh, stopping vaccine mandates." Mm -hmm. Um, school boards are running amok across the whole country. I forced a vote to allow the ability to recall school board members. And it wasn't the Democrats that blocked that roll call vote, it was Republicans. 
So when I would roll call vote. Good question. (laughs) Sorry, I take a lot of this for granted. Um, So in the House, in order to get a roll call vote, you need 15 people just to raise their hand and say either party, just 15 bodies in that room. It could be Republican, Democrat, 15 people just to say, yeah, I agree. We should have a roll call vote, meaning we should be on the record. Okay. So they would actually have to push a button and it would light up on the board to see how everybody voted on that particular bill or amendment. If you don't get a roll call vote, it's a voice vote. And so there's, you don't really have any idea how anybody voted. Mm. So that's how they can skirt uh, accountability. And the, the accountability thing is important. I didn't understand this for the longest time, um, just how damaging it, it is to um, force people in political office to actually take a vote that's documented. Because those that board of lights, mm-hmm. right, will get turned into a scorecard for various mm-hmm. constituencies. Lobbyists see it and will harangue you about it. It will yep. turn into oppo research on you or potentially something that could be used to primary you or in the general. Yep. So both parties have over time given up in the legislature their role to legislate and in many ways have given the legislative role to the administrative state right administrative regulations ars mm-hmm. that do the things the legislature should do so we'll pass some bill with some super loose language yep. that you can drive a truck through so we yep. haven't really done anything we've created a bureaucracy that is unelected unaccountable not beholden to the people can't be chucked out the next election if they do something terrible yep. operates in a different court system at least initially and they get to actually make the rules so this is like you know, the ATF going crazy with uh, pistol stabilizing braces yep. or with redefining a rifle or pistol, whatever it is. But the same thing happens even in this state, right? I mean, oh, they, yeah. they, they write it. So, But the benefit of that is that neither side has to pay the price for actually making an unpopular yeah. decision. And things like getting away from a roll call vote feed that monster yep. of the legislature actually ceding its power to unelected bureaucrats so that they can stay in their positions. Yeah, I mean, I'm meeting with a bunch of candidates right now over these last several weeks since the primary and just making sure these new people that are stepping their toes in the water, they have a good idea what they're getting into because what happens is um, if they win this general election, um, it's like starting a new job. You know, you start a new job, you're like, okay, I know where I work now, I know my title, what the heck do I do and how do I do it? And what happens then is leadership, you know, puts their arm around them and says, ah, you just follow my lead. I got you. And then it can be just that fast. You're just this watered down person who is abandoning your principles. You don't even really know it. Yeah. You're just following this mentor of sorts that um, is, you know, they have their own self-interest. So what I've been telling people and I think people need to know is there's really only sort of two power structures that exist in in politics. I would say I don't care what state, if you're in Sacramento, Mm -hmm. St. Paul, Tallahassee, you have the politicians, right? You have the people in government and the political class, Mm -hmm. the lobbyists, people who benefit um, from from government growing. And then you have the people in that state or in the country. And um, that's it. So as a legislator, there's really only two paths you can take. And that is continuing to fight for the people and empowering people by showing them and being very transparent with what's going on and who's stabbing them in the back, which is why they hate me at the Capitol, because mm-hmm. I've been too transparent, apparently, in some uh, politicians' minds. But by empowering people, they have the information to hold those legislators accountable because they want the people to be in the dark. They want people to be ignorant. 
because then they can't hold them accountable. Um, and then you have, of course, the other power structure is um, you go down this path as a legislator to really protect politicians. That's like the only other path. And that is a very real way of describing what they would say is, well, you got to be friends. You got to have relationships. And it's like, oh, my gosh, if your focus is being friends with politicians, you will sell out like that. And you will not vote well um, because what will happen is, um, let's say someone's forcing a vote on the Never Again bill. And like leadership has said to Kurt Dowd, I'll just name him, Kurt Dowd has told his caucus, you do not give hands for a roll call vote to Representative Mortensen because they have personal issues, the fact that I'm exposing them, and they put that way above the principle. Mm -hmm. um, so what will happen is if uh, someone joins Kurt Dowd's caucus um, and I force a vote on, say, the Never Again bill, they can either give the hands, which I guarantee their constituents would want them to do, or, but if they do give hands for my roll call vote, Kurt Dowd will crack the whip um, in one of many ways. Could right. be pulling funding out of the district, primarying them, kicking them off committee, kicking them out of caucus. Um, but of course, if they don't give hands for a roll call vote, um, right. what I've been doing is I just have my staff up in the gallery taking video of it. So we can take that video, show it to the people, and show them, look, you're being stabbed in the back by your legislators. So I'm not sure anything's changed in politics since humans decided to try to create government systems, right? Yeah. In the antiquity yeah. or whatever, the most far-flung vi village that's had no contact with people. So this isn't invented. It's just one of these things that's existed. It's power and wanting to control that power mm -hmm. and wanting to control the people who, who have the levers of power. Do you think – I understood very little of this, even – four, five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. Do you think something has changed in the last few years where more people are interested in trying <laughs> to understand either how it is that we've gotten here and how to fix it, or just waking up from the sleep that they were in about how all this functioned? Um, I think so, and, and I certainly hope so. But, you know, if you kind of, if I back out and go, all right, well, if we go last, you know, half decade or so, I think one of the best things Donald Trump did is he exposed the media being in the tank with, I'd hate to just say the Democrat Party, but just say leftists, you know, liberals in general, um, and how they go hand in hand with one another. Mm -hmm. He really exposed them, and I think that's woken up a lot of people. And I think people see maybe even apolitical people in the past, um, when they're going through inflation now, they're paying four bucks a gallon for gas. I think they're forced to wake up and say, what in the hell is going on around yeah. here, and how do we fix it? So, um, I mean, just going to like the state fair. I worked at, at a booth on Saturday, and um, you go down to Governor Walz's booth, and nobody's there. Like, literally nobody is at the booth. Right. And I saw a video Freedom Club just did um, where they showed one of Governor Walz's volunteers. Or, I'm assuming he's probably paying these people. I don't know why anybody would volunteer at his booth. And <laughs> they're, like, out in the street, like, begging people, take a button or take something, and they're just being completely ignored. So I, I hope there's been an awakening. Uh, over the last several years, and I, November will will tell us. I hope. Well, he, yeah. I mean, there's 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 a lot of problems, the election things. But you know, it it what's amazing to me about walls is, and yet, it's still within the margin of error against Jensen. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's what's so. It almost seems like everyone's a low information voter, yeah. and it's like, look, all the information you need 
to make an educated decision about this is in front of you. How much your milk, meat, and gas cost? What is your Excel bill done? That's cr- that's cr- yeah. crazy. And it's because of this bizarre idea that X percentage or Y percentage used to come from renewables. No, look, if renewables can compete on a marketplace and have a lower cost per megawatt hour, great, go yeah. for it. But yeah. if they can't, they need a subsidy from the government in order to survive, or you're gonna you're gonna hamstring Excel and say you have to have X Y Z percentage legislatively, even though that's two or three times more expensive than nuclear yep. or coal. Um, it's crazy. So I, I think people have to understand if they're if they're not happy, if they're looking at how bad their life has become, particularly in like the failed Biden walls policies, economic policies, they have to ask. You know, how much is this really worth? What is it? You know, what am I virtue signaling by saying like, oh, you know, my my dad was, I'm a Republican, I have a Democrat family. My, my, my dad was Republican, my grandpa. I mean, first of all, it's not your grandfather's Democrat party, yeah. right? They, they weren't, you know, it wasn't drag queen story hour in 1965. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's lots of people saying that exact same thing. Yeah. You know, I ran into people at the state fair. They're like, well, my, my parents were Democrats, but it's just, it's the party has completely changed in the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Or JFK so. would be a hardcore right winger. Yeah. Now, oh, yeah. Which, which is insane yeah. to me. I, I think more appropriately, he'd probably belong to the liberty wing of the, the GOP, yeah. right? An equality of opportunity guy who wanted peace. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it, it's bizarre. And some of these word, people look at the word Republican. And it's this negative connotation. So if I listen to a lot of, you know, Joe Rogan, a lot of podcast stuff, and he's like, it's, it's synonymous with bad. You know, like, where, where did we fail in the PR marketing things that has become so easily caricatured as automatically bad? When you talk about, like, well, who really is fighting for the little man, the common man, the small business owner? Who's really fighting to have economic opportunity available to all Americans? Um, it's not the party of the elitists, which is what the Democrats have, have become. Yep. Um, we're the party of blue-collar people, small business owners, mid-sized business owners, successful people, immigrants. Um, but there's still this bizarre stigma. Yeah, well, it's true. And I, I don't frankly know what the fix is. But I think, uh, I mean, if you break down the two parties, of course, you've got Democrats are kind of more subscribing to groupthink. So I think they tend to succeed better on a messaging level because they say, These are, this is our messaging. And all of them comply because they mm-hmm. go, they subscribe to this groupthink. Um and if we're just kind of doing this little analysis, it's, I think in the Republicans, we're a little more, you know, individualist. Mm-hmm. And we go, well, yeah, maybe the state party wants me to talk about this and that, but I think I'm going to go in this other direction. So yeah. I think we, you know, if we're not beating that same war drum, that probably hamstrings us. But, you know, I'm a big individualist. Like, yes. I, I totally believe in fighting for, my, for minorities. And to me, the smallest minority is the individual. It doesn't yeah. get any smaller than that. Yeah, and th- that, I th- is a message that we, I think, have to push and get out. That, that the whole Mitt Romney silk stocking, you know, boardroom Republican thing, I, I think is completely dead. I mean, that was one thing that I think Trump's candidacy should have, that should have been one of the big takeaways. Mm. You go to those rallies, it's, oh, it, it, well, it's the backbone of what used to be the Democratic Party. Yeah, it right? truly People is. People who work for a living, particularly did, with their hands. Did you go to that Trump rally that was here in October no, 2019? No, I didn't. Oh my gosh, it was, that's the only Trump rally I've been to but it was, I volunteered through the party uh, and went down to Target Center that morning and was, you know, working the lines and getting people to sign petitions and, you know, it was pouring rain outside and people just did not care. And it was, the line like wrapped around the Target Center, up through the Skyway, down the stairs, like then zigzag back and forth in a parking lot. It was absolutely insane. And, um, I, you know, I took videos once this thing started 
I got down on the floor. I was like 15 feet away from Donald Trump, and um, literally every seat in Target Center was was occupied. And it's just people waving American flags, you know, patriotic songs. It was one of the most amazing experiences. Yeah. And I remember, I probably shouldn't name who, but a, a relative of mine <laughs> that may or may not have given birth to me, um, I said, you should go to a Trump rally, because she was not a Trump fan. Sure. And she said, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine. That would be such a scary place. I'm like, no, no, it is, like, inspiring. Yeah. And so the real danger is when you step foot outside of Target Center and you had, you know, Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. um, and, and the anarchists out there, like, sucker-punching people and lighting cars on fire. Yeah. That, that's where the real danger existed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's probably few places you'd feel as loved if you were a black American wearing a MAGA hat than inside that Trump rally. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as you got out, who knows? Yep. It's yep. downtown Minneapolis. So you've served now two years. Unfortunately, you have to run every two years. Yep. And so you just survived. You ran against Lunin again, who you defeated the. Yeah, the trilogy team. with Bob is complete. <laughs> Do you think he'll get the message finally? <laughs> I think every year I think he's going to get the message, but for some reason he can repeatedly handle being rejected by Shakopee Republicans and, and come back again. Um, but. Of course, what he has going for him is he's got the swamp behind him. You know, yeah. the House Republican caucus backs him. Uh, the Jobs Coalition, which is ran by Kurt Dowd and Andrew Brindley, like they told me this in a caucus meeting that I attended of theirs. They said, oh, yeah, this is something we did. Um, they talk about how the, the Jobs Coalition does independent expenditures for the HRCC, like they're literally admitting this. Um, so, yeah, they always throw their support behind Bob because Bob is a, uh, you know. It's just not you. It doesn't sound like they, they love Bob or or well, is they, someone they can control? They want loyalty, mm -hmm. right? They want someone who's going to kiss the ring and do as they're told. And um, that's certainly not what I've been doing down there. And uh, they like to preach unity all the time, all the time unity. But then uh, they don't like to practice it. And I'm all for unity, but I think the question has to become, what are we unifying around? Right. If it's just the status quo, sure. not interested. Yeah, if we're going to unify around limited government and chopping it every chance we get. Absolutely. Hey, I'm I all love for it. that. Yeah. But, you know, the voting records show it that I'm one of very few legislators down there that actually is on that mission. I guess I never answered your question. Out of 201 like, yeah. principled people, like, I, you know, I've got a good voting record. Lucero votes well. Now he's moving to the Senate. Um, Draskowski voted well. Munson voted well. But, and I guess I was talking about, you know, I got these like basement dwellers, these three categories. And that's like the, the floor level is like the sellouts, the people like mm -hmm. Josh Heinzman. He just does whatever leadership tells him to do total bootlicker uh that's the bulk of them and then you kind of get to this second tier and that's the people that at least vote well at least yeah. honor their constitutional oath um and then i would put a third tier out there because to me this becomes a, a new standard and that's forcing votes that leadership has not approved of uh forcing votes on the floor and, and getting roll call votes on it while you're at it or at least asking for the roll call vote and creating that awkwardness because like someone like draz to kind of show the contrast between these different levels I like Draz as an individual. He votes well, but what I noticed him doing is he would, you know, file an amendment to a bill. It might be a great amendment, like an election integrity amendment, um, and he would speak to it passionately, eloquently for 10, 20 minutes. And then at the end of it, his speech, he would say, and with that, Madam Speaker, I withdraw my amendment. And mm -hmm. he wouldn't demand a roll call vote. And it's become obvious to me why he wouldn't do it. He was scared to death of being humiliated of not getting those 15 hands because well, it can be embarrassing but even if you don't get it you still die it's the, the right hill to die on exactly right? i didn't get the vote like i'm not the jerk 
It, you it, guys are the jerks. Right? And there's powerful information in not getting those. Because a roll call vote doesn't mean you like it. It just means I want to go on the record for it or against it. Yes, absolutely. And and there's there's that roll call vote and the denial of the roll call vote is empowering information for the people so they can see who's actually cares about this issue and is willing to just raise their hand and support the roll call versus who is putting personalities and politics first because they just don't like the person who, who forced the vote. So do you think if there were 20 people, there were some Democrats, some Republicans who were like, look, we, we need to force votes on everything. Do you yeah. think it would go back to like it was in the 70s where the legislature would pass like a thousand bills instead of a giant omnibus bill and you'd actually um, up, up and down vote on things? Yeah. I mean, I think you need to expand it beyond just forcing roll calls. I think if we had 20 people who refused to vote for multi-subject bills, mm. you know, and there's rarely going to be a majority that exceeds like that 20 person threshold. But I don't even think it has to be 20. Because, you know, I think it's going to Republicans in the House will have a slim majority. And I think it would be best to have a slim majority, quite honestly. Um, so if it's, say, a 68 to 66 majority for Republicans, two or three of us that have, have promised to never support multi-subject bills since they're unconstitutional, they don't have the votes to pass them. So suddenly we can terminate uh, that, you know, that practice. If people hold fast. Yeah. So like Draz told me one day at the Capitol, he's like, look, Mort, we're never going to get 68 Republicans like you down here. I'm like, we don't need 68 people right. like me. We need like two or three enough to cover that, that gap in the majority to say, no, we don't have to do this anymore. You mentioned you've been talking to some candidates. Do you think we found some of those folks? Yeah, I do, actually. I know we found one. I maybe have a second. So I think we'll have three to five people like that. Wow. Um, a couple might waffle because that's just kind of the math behind it, but... Um, I think it's in the Senate. The Senate's going to get a lot stronger. I mean, yeah, Senate sounds solid, really yeah, solid. I think it will be, <laughs> especially compared to the past, because <laughs> let's be honest, there's not a single Republican state senator worth a damn. They've all, I mean, it seems like everything in the House would, it would come from the Senate and they would say, oh, this bill passed unanimously in the House. I'm like, isn't there a single state senator who opposes bigger government? But you just look at the records and it's, oh, unanimous, unanimous. And there's no opposition. So with Draz moving to the Senate, Lucero, uh, Cal Barr, um, and yeah, then Nate Wiesenberg. Exactly. Then the ago. new That's blood, <laughs> Nate Wiesenberg alone. He's in fact Nate Wiesenberg. He'll be leading the people like Draz, these twenty-year, you know, uh, vets in the Capitol, because uh, Wiesenberg's going to be the guy. I'm sure forcing forcing votes, and those are the things that these other guys just haven't had the. Because in the Senate, this one guy. Exactly. Yeah, in the Senate, you don't need fifteen hands. You just one person just says one. we want a roll call, and then they've got to do it. Wow. That's amazing. That's the opportunity to really, I think, fundamentally change the way things are done in this state, which is, that's the first step, right? Admit that we have a problem. And the problem is this lack of transparency and good governance, uh, the lack of holding legislators accountable for having a view on whatever issue it is. Yep. Um, I think it's a myth that, like, you can't horse trade. I mean, everyone understands. It's like, yeah, look, look, we get con we get uh, constitutional carry. Maybe there's some give if you're 68, 60, you know, 6. Um, that, that can all happen without omnibus bills. It doesn't need to be rolled into something. I, I really, yeah. and I said this about uh, Paul Gazelk on the campaign trail, that I believed in his heart of hearts. He did, was vehemently pro-life, but yet he still votes f for these giant omnibus bills that would fund Planned Parenthood. Yes. Because it's such a heavy lift to say no to the whole system of creating this behind the scenes. It, it, yeah, and so your list of what's wrong in the Capitol, and maybe you said it, but I didn't hear it, there's a lack of political courage. Like, people who are willing to say, no, this is politically unpopular. Uh, but not even politically unpopular. It's just 
um, they're, they're putting politics first. So like they banged on me for, um, we had a vote to audit the Southwest light rail hmm. back in March. And um, they wanted to spend $200,000 of the surplus money to do it. And I said, well, I'm not voting to spend any of this money. This isn't our money to spend. We Correct. just passed a budget. Find somewhere else to take it out. Yeah, yeah, take it out somewhere else if you want to do this light yeah. rail. Um, and I sat there. I remember looking at the bill beforehand and going, okay, well, as a contractor in, in, in my old company, I've looked at state bids before and, and participated in them. And I'm reading the bill and going, this has no teeth. Like, this isn't going to change how we procure, you know, projects going forward. Um, so I got the impression this is just a political thing, especially that the chief author was a Democrat, because which Democrats really care about wasting money? It <laughs> right. doesn't happen. <laughs> so this is just an opportunity for them to say, see, we're fiscal conservatives. Um, so I'm like, I'm not going to vote for this thing, because then it's spending surplus money. So to me, this was a no-brainer. I figured all the Republicans would vote no. Um, so we come to the House floor, and for like two and a half hours, Republicans um, were railing against this bill. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm with you, but... Like, why are we spending all this time on this? And and I've come to learn now they're just Sound kind bites. of creating political cover yeah. for themselves. And so they can point out and say, look, I was against this bill. I, I spoke against it. And then Kurt Doubt probably spent 45 minutes, you know, the min minority leader, railing against the bill, saying it's a waste of money. We don't need this audit. And at one point saying, are we even get the results of this audit anytime soon? And so we asked Hornstein, Rep. Hornstein, and Hornstein's response was, the good news is, the audit's already begun. So I'm in the back of the room going, what the hell are we doing here? This audit's already started. We're just going to pay 200 grand to more bureaucrats to, to do this. And, and I'm thinking, okay, we're all obviously no's on this except for the Democrats. And the last three seconds of Dowd's speech, he said, but I encourage my members to vote for the audit. And I was like, what in the hell is going on around here? So they just lack the backbone to say, no, this is, we're no votes. It's a waste of money. We're mm -hmm. spending surplus money. But they knew Politically, it would look bad right. if they voted no. So I, you know, I've come to <laughs> when, when I vote no on a lot of these things, I just push my red button and we'll go to my phone or so. I don't want to look at the board because there is legitimate pressure when you see these boards light up and everybody's green except me. <laughs> I'm the one red light on the board, and I'm like, oh man, it'd be so much easier just to push the green button and say fine. Right. But I said I wouldn't vote to spend surplus money. And uh, I knew at that moment they were going to attack me about this because I voted against an audit right, of a right. Southwest Light Rail. You love Southwest Light Rail. I would love fraud, to shut right? down the whole yeah, 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 Southwest yeah, Light Rail and the North can, Star but Light But the rail. hit pieces write themselves, right? Yeah. Loves pork so much he voted yep. to can an audit. So they uh, said the whole primary, the, the literature pieces, um, said that I was a big spending, reckless spending liberal. I'm like, I voted against every nickel in government yeah. growth. But they're not tied to the truth at all. Well, yeah, but and and. For the voting electorate, you have to understand this this bumper sticker mentality of dig deeper. Right? Yes. If, if you should understand that, look, the mainstream media is completely corrupt, but also what you're being fed is disinformation, politically motivated to make you act a certain way. So ask, you know, qui bono? If I believe this, who benefits? Yes. If I believe... Eric Mortensen, who I thought was a really conservative guy and didn't like government spending, really is this, who benefits? Because you have to ask yourself, and I think a lot of people are, again, I, it seems getting more attuned. I really hope they are. Me too. I mean, during our debate with Bob Lunan and I, he threw a real doozy out there. He said, well, 
in the last two years since Mortensen got in office, government has grown at higher levels than when Bob was in office for four years. And I just started laughing and said, Bob, do you think people are that stupid? <laughs> like, I literally voted against every nickel in government growth, mm -hmm. my one, you know, one budget season and during the surplus season. For the four years Bob was in office, he voted for every single increase. I mean, he voted for every omnibus bill. So I'm like, Bob, come on. Like, you don't, people aren't that dumb. Or, yeah. I mean, you think seems to think they are, but um, that was shocking to try to pin that on me, any government growth. So you talk about the pain that uh, Kurt Dow can bring. I mean, I talked to Mark Bashovsky about this, right? I mean, 82% yep. first round, yep. gets the endorsement, great guy. He's going to be very principled. Um, and then Dow tries to primary him, right? Yep. And, uh, so it, it, it's that's the pain. Yep. But at the same time, it's almost the easiest thing. If you just don't care about being in office, what you care about is I want to die with a clean conscience. I want to always do what's right for the yep. or my to the best of my ability for my constituency. What I told them to do. Yep. Even if that means that I'm a one-term whatever. Yep. It's the easiest thing to do. None it of is. these guys have a physical gun to your head. None yep. of these guys are gonna, you know, s steal all your money and do all yep. this terrible stuff to you. It's the easy thing. You're like, no, I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna vote this way. And you can yell at me. You can drag me through the bun the papers with our, you know, five minute news cycle, and everyone will forget yep. it the next day. But it's amazing how that pressure really wears on people. Yeah, it, it gets totally them can to behave. But all yeah. they have to do is just not care. But you know, part of the other thing that I discovered, you know, running for office is that. This whole process is so painful, right? I mean, you've had, you know, now three primary battles yep. and multiple. The, it doesn't select for the people that should be doing the job yep. on either side of the aisle. It, it, it selects for the people who want to be part of the cool kids club, yep. who want to do as they're told, who want to move up to the next higher office, yes. the next position, stay in power, be addressed as, you know, representative or senator so-and-so. Mm -hmm. um, and that incentive structure creates behavior that negatively impacts every Minnesota individual mm -hmm. business. Yeah, one of the first pieces of advice I'd give anybody, because in 2021, I bet I met with 30, maybe 40 people who reached out to me and said they want to run for office and take the same principal path that I've been taking. Now, of course, you know, not everybody ended up running, but the first piece of advice I'd tell all of them is if you care what politicians think of you, please don't run, because you'll be doing nobody any favors. Um, so I totally agree. You have to have this I don't care mentality, at least what politicians think of you. Mm -hmm. right. um, and again, that's how that's how they defined defined being a friend. Um, so I, I don't know if you saw this. Maybe maybe you did. But the day before the primary. I come home from work and uh, as I'm driving down my road, I see this white car parked in front of my house. And um, I noticed that they were pretty far back, like they're blocking part of my driveway. And that pisses me off. Yeah, like, yeah. why is somebody blocking my driveway? And as I get closer, I see the bumper sticker on the back says, um, Josh Heinzman for house. And I was like, no freaking way. <laughs> so I, my eyes dart right to my front door. And there's Josh Heinzman, state rep Josh Heinzman, outside <laughs> talking to my wife. And um, so I fly up, and he sees me. And he just tucks his tail and, and gets back to his car and, and spins out. And um, So I asked my wife, what, what the heck was that about? And she said he was trying to convince me to vote for Bob Lunan instead of you. <laughs> So you didn't look at the name on your on your uh, walk sheet? Apparently, he didn't even have one because we have a 16-minute video now because we have cameras everywhere. I forgot elected. I got these death threats. And we're like, throw up cameras. Um, so I've got 16 minutes of Heinzman trying to talk to my wife and convince her that I'm some bad guy. And um, she did an amazing job of uh, 
challenging them and saying, well, why didn't you give hands on the first day of session in 2021 when Mortensen, you know, forced a vote to um, stop the emergency? And he responded with, well, who was it that, that, you know, forced the vote? And she said, Mortensen. And he goes, well, if he's not part of our caucus, should he get the benefits of the caucus? Yeah. And she said, <laughs> That's so ridiculous. right. <laughs> she said, wait, so you admitting that it's not about the people and what they want. It's about the good old boys club and who's part of the club and who isn't. And he essentially admitted, yeah, like if you're not in the club, you don't get the benefits of the club. And that to me is so disgusting, but he's admitting. And he even said afterwards, you, you asked me a question that I told you, I'd tell you the truth. And I told you the truth. So I want to thank Josh Heinzman again for being so honest and telling people it's not about the people want. It's about, you know, being part of the cool kids club. And in order to do it, to be liked by politicians and be friends with them, mm -hmm. you have to protect them mm -hmm. and uh, be part of the club, which means there's no accountability in that club then because nobody holds each other accountable and becomes a race to the bottom. Right. And that's what we've seen in the Republican Senate. So people are listening to this. They're inspired. It's kind of too late to run for office, although maybe there's some local things they could get into. H how do they help going forward? Because to, to go against, if you want to support a principal legislator, how can you help if you're an individual citizen? Sounds like you need help. Yeah, I mean, I would love some help. Everyone, this yeah. you especially. Right? Yeah, and people, if you want to help me out, you can go to mortforhouse.com. Um, you can click on the volunteer. You could donate there if you wanted. Um, that's sort of the one place they could go. Um, I'm happy to help. I actually I love doing this. If people want to get my opinion on a certain candidate, uh -huh. I'll be very honest. And I'm, I'm shooting people straight on. If I don't know the person, yeah. I'll frequently tell them I, I don't. I don't really know the person, so I can't tell you one way or another. Um, but definitely check out voting records if you're not unsure is someone principled or not. Um, Action for Liberty has a great scorecard if people aren't sure. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, when you meet these legislators, they don't say, I vote terribly. They all claim to be right. some champion for liberty. Right. Um, LEA has a great scorecard, um, so people can reach out to me. Mark Bischofsky is going to be an amazing state representative. He's got a tough so. road. He needs some help. He does. I mean, you have a tough road, too. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's your yours and Mark's district, I think, are going to be very, very expensive yep. battles um, and probably targeted by, oh, yeah. by the Dems to do and and so how do we get you guys across the finish line get you both into the house and yeah well i mean donating to the campaigns door knocking with us okay. um people want to come out and hit, hit some doors uh if you're not into door knocking because it's you know it's not for everybody phone calling can be okay. a little easier path so you know reaching out to the campaigns and and seeing what sort of help we need that would be huge um yep awesome well, I'm be respectful for your time. I know you got to go. I really appreciate you taking the time. I've been dying this. to do this for so <laughs> and long. And I'm excited to sit down again, <laughs> you know, once you're reelected and once you get into session, because I think a lot of the mechanics of this are interesting. Like, how does a session work? How do these bills get introduced? How do they move through committee? When do people put the squeeze on? When does the pressure come? How do the lobbyists play into it? Party leadership? How do we end up at the end of the at the end of the session with, you know, this stuff in the Amos Bull, but not this stuff and I mean, yeah. we'd love, I would love to, to sit down and kind of go, th go through that. I'd love to do that and to end on kind of a, you know, an uplifting note because I, I th it's easy to get in the doldrums yeah. and be like, oh, man, we're, the state's lost. We're, our country's lost. I'm super optimistic about the future of Minnesota because if we take the House back, and especially we have that slim majority, um, that would be a very powerful place for freedom-loving Republicans to, to actually benefit from. I think we probably keep the Senate. Mm -hmm. I think it's 50-50 and, and getting rid of walls and getting yeah. Jensen in there. So if that ends up happening, you get Jensen in the governor's mansion and um, 
you know, Bashovsky and I are in, in the House, and you get someone like Wiesenberg, who will be a senator. Yep, you will. Um, we will force the votes in the House, and it's going to be very, very challenging for Republicans to be in the majority in the House to not give hands on the, the, on the votes that they know their constituents want. Um, so we'll force the votes in the House. The people like Wiesenberg will force them in the Senate. And when Jensen's at state convention saying, we're going to abolish the income tax. Well, I made a note of that. <laughs> he's, <so. laughs> he's getting banged. He's, he's still with it. Yeah, well, that's I was, I I was happy that. that, you know, that bug got in his ear on the campaign trail because it's, it's a great concept. We can totally do it. Yeah. Fifteen billion dollars. There's so much pork in that budget that we can cut it yep. and still maintain those those basic services that we think the government should be doing. And um, that would catapult the state above any of the states around us. Yeah. We were so able to phase it out over a decade. We force those votes in the bodies and we slap the bills on Jensen's desk and then everybody in the state, all eyes are on him and then he has to sign it. So yeah. I'm very encouraged about the future. It's it's super exciting. So thank you again for everything you do. Thank you for serving, actually serving, and not trying to just better a, a personal individual career. Um, thank you again for coming on. I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. And it's Mort for House. Mortforhouse.com. Number or F-O-R? F-O-R, yep. Perfect. And we'll put the link in the show notes. And thank you. Cool. Yeah, Appreciate thanks. it.